0: This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com.
1: Hi, it's Doro, and I'm so excited to announce that the Achieving Optimal Health Conference is just around the corner on October 26th at Georgetown University. For our health gig listeners, we have a special offer. If you sign up by September 20th, you'll get $50 off your ticket. Just go to AchievingOptimalHealthConference.com and use the code HEALTHGIG. Get ready to create a happier and healthier life story. People are yearning for information, having the opportunity
0: to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Welcome to the BBNR Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia Riley Cook. And I'm your host, Dora Bush Cook. Thank you for listening. We are so excited that we get to do this podcast and help people learn how to take better care of themselves by interviewing thought leaders and experts in health and wellness about their personal health journeys. Today we are ecstatic because we're talking to Washington Redskins quarterback Kirk Cousins. We are extreme Redskins fans here, so it was so exciting for us to have the opportunity to spend time with Kirk. We were really impressed with his power of focusing and staying in the present moment as a way to make the most of every second.
1: It's really another way of doing and embodying what we always talk about, which is mindfulness. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did with Kirk Cousins, and we'll check back with you at the end of the conversation. So we are so excited today to welcome to our podcast, Health Gig, Kirk Cousins. And um, Kirk, Tricia and I are huge fans of yours, and our families are extreme Redskins (laughs) fans. and. (laughs) But as you know, this podcast focuses on talking um, to people about achieving their own optimal health, mind, body, and spirit. And we know um, uh, that that's critically important in your life. But before we get started, we just have one thing to say. You like that! (laughs) Yeah, that's
2: become my tagline and uh, I'm not going to escape it anytime soon.
0: How many times do people yell that at you a day?
2: Uh, It's fun, you know. It's better than hearing other things. That's true. You know, if I'm walking through the shopping mall, uh, if people don't feel like coming up to me and saying hello or asking for a picture (laughs) as I pass by, they may, if they recognize me, they may yell "You like that" as a way of feeling (laughs) like they they got my attention. (laughs) So that's always funny.
0: Connected with you. Um, Thanks for letting us do that. (laughs) Yeah, thanks.
1: Um, So anyway, we wanted to start um, to talk to you a little bit about. Sort of preparation in your life, yeah. And
0: and and, and, you know, we were when we were studying, we were seeing how you really take care of yourself. That does it true that you sleep in a hyperbaric chamber?
2: I I try to (laughs) when I can. I I own one, and uh, I'm not in there every night. But uh, to have it work, you've got to be in there for a few hours. So I usually just try to combine that with the time that I'm sleeping and. I found it to be helpful. I think it has a lot of long-term benefits that I may not see right now, but uh, down the road I will. And um, I find it to be a good, a good tool, one that's pretty easy to use and should make a difference.
1: Yeah. Is Julie in there too, or just you?
2: <laughs> Everybody uses it. Julie, uh, Julie isn't in there with me. I mean, it's, it's big enough for about one and a half people. So it's uh, <laughs> a little tight for both of us, but uh, it, uh, it's a great tool. She loves using it as well. And it's nice because anybody can use it. So other people uh, who have any health issues, uh, we have them come over and get in. And uh, even one time, we had a, a friend's pet who uh, had an injury, and they were, they were so crazy about their pet, they wanted their pet to go in there. And we said, "Yeah, no problem." So they had a dog go in there as well. So it's multi-purpose. That's for sure.
0: How? What? What happens when you go in? One? What? What? What do you hope happens?
2: Yeah. One? So the the idea is that. Um, the air pressure inside is going to be stronger than in the atmosphere we're normally in. So, uh, and the idea is that the increased pressure promotes greater blood flow, promotes greater healing. Mm. And, um, you know, most research centers around being in there for 90 minutes to two hours. And that's where the real benefits are, but it doesn't hurt you to be in longer. So if I um, am going to sleep in it, I'll get in, you know, around nine or 10 o'clock when I go to bed and probably be in there for about half the night till like one or two a.m and then get out and uh, and go upstairs and sleep the rest of the night in my own bed. But, um, you know, really I think that's, that is that increased pressure. And yeah, then other people – I don't do it, but other people will add oxygen uh, to be pumped into the chamber as well. So then you get the benefit of the increased oxygen as well.
0: Wow. That's fascinating.
1: So tell us um, about your morning routine. I know you're in the off-season now, but tell us what it's like – during the season and then in the off-season?
2: Well, yeah, obviously very different. But during the season, I do. I am a man of routine. I've I've read up on a lot of the great athletes, and one of the consistent themes with these great athletes is their routines and that they stick to a routine and that enables them to, to play at a high level uh, and kind of be able to relax their minds. So I've developed a routine of, of trying to be very regimented throughout the week, and thankfully the NFL schedule keeps us pretty – pretty consistent with Sunday-to-Sunday Sunday games and staying in that routine in terms of what a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday look like. So Monday's my off day, and I, I take that rest, and that may involve sleeping in a little bit longer um, and just being able to relax, you know, walk the dog, spend time with my wife. But, uh, you know, Tuesday through really through Saturday is, a, is our work week, and, uh, and then Sunday is our game. And so um, I get up in the morning, you know, around 6, 6.15, And then I like to always spend some time at my desk in the morning reading, praying, uh, just kind of, you know, not jumping right into the day, but having a chance to kind of just have some quiet time and and, uh, be with myself for a bit. And I think that's a great way for me to start the day. And then I head into work, you know, closer to seven and um, and uh, and then from there, just going the football routine all the way through the day. Wow. Mm -hmm.
0: So that time in the morning is your time basically, right? And that's when you sort of get your head straight because you've been under so much, right? I mean, one thing we wanted to talk to you about is how do you do it and keep your mind on the game when so much is going on around you?
2: Well, for me, I do find playing quarterback at the professional level to be extremely challenging, probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And, it doesn't help that players like Tom Brady make it look so easy. Yeah. The, uh, the expectation from the fan base is that I better be like Tom Brady or I'm not good enough and, and uh, so that's you know the competition and what you're being evaluated against and that's certainly a high standard and hard to achieve but that's where we're all striving to, to be and uh, um, you know it just requires a great deal of, of preparation uh, and, and really an understanding that you have to treat it like a marathon, not a sprint. I mean five six years ago when I entered the NFL, I wasn't, I mean, I, I was clueless. I wasn't ready to play at a high level. And, and I knew that And it wasn't going to suddenly be something where I could snap my fingers and suddenly be at the level I needed to be. It was going to take years. And it probably took three, four years to get to a place where I even felt like I belonged. And then from there had to continue to fine tune to get to a place where I could play at a very high level. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, uh, through six seasons now. And I feel like just now I'm starting to come into my own in this league and really mm-hmm. take ownership. And, uh, and so there, it is a long process, and I think that's the patience and the understanding that that gradual accumulation of knowledge and ability is a very powerful thing. But unfortunately, it is gradual, and um, you have to just keep plugging away and keep chopping, believing that if you do that over time, good things will happen. Mm, that's
1: really you talked, you mentioned your faith, um, and in the morning you, you spend, you have prayer time, and does that involve a devotional or is it? how, how, yeah. yeah, what is your prayer life like?
2: Yeah. In, in the morning, um, that's, you know, they say, uh, people say, you know, carve out a time in the day to just spend time with the Lord and, and, uh, have that prayer time. And some people do it before bed. I just find that as the day goes on, I get more fatigued and more fatigued. And so I'm going to be best off doing that in the morning when there's less distractions, when the house is quiet. And I feel like it's a great way to springboard into the day to feel like you've had that time and you're kind of, prepared for what the day is going to throw at you. So um, it's first thing for me. I try to get up when the house is as quiet as possible, when, you know, my wife isn't up, when the baby isn't up, mm-hmm. there's no distractions. And um, I think it's a combination of reading the Bible. You know, I do believe that's mm-hmm. the best book there is to read. It's, it's, uh, um, you know, and so you got to be in it every single day. And so it may not be a lot of reading, but just to know that I was in it today, that I, I read something, gained something. And uh, and that's really where I focus, and I usually do accompany the Bible reading with Another book, and that might be a, a pastor or a teacher that is comment, having a, a commentary on the Bible, so I can gain some of their insight as well. Um, I, you know, a, a pastor uh, who I've really enjoyed reading his books is Charles Stanley, who pastors a church in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I'll often read a book of his that accompanies my scripture reading, and then finish with just some prayer time. Which I actually, I type out my prayers on my laptop rather than just saying. I like to just kind of have it documented, so it's almost like a journal. And I'm wow. doing journaling, but it just happens to be that instead of my journaling, talking to myself like a diary, I'm really talking to uh, to God. And that's that's how I do it. And uh, it's worked for me. And I, again, I think it's the routine that's important mm-hmm. for me is to get in a habit of doing it so that every single day I just wake up and do it without even thinking. And then you look back over months of a season and realize, you know, you have a document of your prayers typed out that's, you know, 80, 90 pages long because of how many days you were consistent in doing it.
0: I love that. It's- in doing all this, what have you learned that surprises you most about yourself?
2: Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I'd have to think a little yeah. longer to give you a, a great answer. You but think uh think um, I do think that, um, uh, you know, first of all, routine is so important because when I first thought, okay, I'm going to do this quiet time, I'm going to have this rhythm, um, you know, I, I would hit or miss and I, a month would go past and I'd look back and I'd say, oh, I just, you know, I wasn't disciplined enough. Well, why did I let distractions get in my way? And, so it is a journey of just getting to a place where you're disciplined enough and routine enough to to do it and to make no excuses and to make sure you carve out the time. And I think in order to do that, you have to really believe that it's going to help you. And so I think uh, what I learned about myself is the benefit that it brings and that, again, it's a gradual benefit. You don't do it one morning for 20, 30 minutes and then leave saying, oh, that changed my entire day. But you do it for a month or two and you can look back and say, you know, I just feel like I'm in a healthy place. I feel like my relationship with my wife, mm-hmm. uh, the way I'm leading at work is all healthy and it's good and I, I believe a lot of that I can attribute back to that time I'm spending every morning. So um, yeah, yeah. you know, sometimes there's things in your life that are hard to see the direct fruit or the direct results but I do believe that in, in being committed and disciplined in those areas mm-hmm. it makes a difference in some of the things that, that, uh, that happen later in life and some of the things that didn't happen, if you will, to avoid the catastrophe you have to do some of these things in advance to, to protect yes, yourself. So
1: so true. true. So true. So um speaking of um routines and preparation um, your preparation methods are legendary to D.C. fans. And so I, I read that you block your calendar into 15-minute activities. Is that true?
2: I do. <laughs> I did, and it, it all started uh, back in 2015. I was coming off of a 2014 season that did not go well. I didn't play well. It was my first year of marriage with my wife, Julie, and she, too, just watched me for the first time just um, coming apart at the seams and not doing very well with the season and and, uh, the demands of life. And so she came to me before the 2015 season and said, something's got to change. I think you need to block out uh, your schedule a little better so that you're better making use of your time. And um, really, it started with, well, let's block out when we're going to rest. You know, when are we going to take time off? and get away from football, because if we don't block that out, next thing you know, it's a 24-7 deal for six yeah. months, and it's going to consume us. And that's what she noticed in the first year of marriage. So we sat down, we blocked out times, and then that led us to then block out the entire week to say, okay, if we're going to be resting here on Monday or on Friday evening, then i got to make sure I get my work in the other times of the week to be settled and ready to go for Sunday's game. And so you know, it kind of snowballed into suddenly, well, let's just got a spreadsheet and let's just block these increments out into 15 minutes at a time and go from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. and kind of just block it out. And that way, I'll have a peace of mind each stage I'm at during the week to know that I'm right where I need to be. I don't need to be anywhere else. I can be fully present in where I am and uh, and maximize this hour at this time and know that if I do that, that gives me the best chance to be successful on Sunday at 1 o'clock at FedEx Field uh, for the Redskins. So, we did that for the first time in 2015 and, uh, we found it to be a great thing for us. It was healthy for our marriage. It was healthy for my work. I had one of the best seasons I've ever had. And from there we just said, you know, let's, let's do it again. And so in the 2016 season, we did it as well. And, um, you know, to my detriment, I didn't do a good enough job of carrying that over into the off season. It was almost like Mm -hmm. work being that it's, a part of the year really demands my focus. And then the minute I can get away from that, I kind of go to the other extreme and I'm more unorganized and less scheduled. And I think that hurt me. And so this year we said, you know, Hey, let's carry these same habits over into the off season as well. And so we've blocked off days where, you know, we're going to take more rest and we're not going to travel and we're going to make sure that we're home with family. And and, and then other days, you know, be okay with going on trips or taking on opportunities or being on a podcast such as this one, because (laughs) that's a day where we've said, Good opportunities come our way. Let's take advantage of them. So it's just been a process of learning what works for us. And I think it started with having a wife that was smart enough to realize something and point it out. And, um, you know, when you really talk about marriage being a partnership, that's where you see the benefits of having a wife who can help you see things that maybe for, for me were blind spots.
1: Right. Uh, that's what I was going to say. It's it's pretty cool that you have met someone who is aware and open and and you know, right there with
0: you.
2: So, uh, and that's like, what it should be. I think that's been the fun for us is that while I'm the one on the field playing every Sunday and taking mm-hmm. the hits and doing a lot of the, the, the tangible work to be ready for Sunday, I mean, we are a team and she feels that way. And, and, um, I mean, right now as we're talking, she's making me lunch, making a salad, <laughs> and she's being disciplined, making that food, you know, stuff that I don't want to eat, it, but it's healthy and good for me and she knows that. And so she's helping in any way she can. So it's just, you know, teamwork and, uh, you know, it's Valentine's Day today, and so today is a great day for me to, uh, you know, also express to her how much I appreciate her and the, uh, you know, the benefit she is to both of us. So that um, is just it's a cool, so cool partnership. I certainly would recommend marriage to anybody. That- <laughs> <laughs> That's so,
0: That's so, so sweet. Great. You know, when you were talking about staying in the present, being right there, we talk a lot about that with um, mindfulness, right? And through prayer, staying yeah. here in the moment. So thank you for sharing that. And this practice that you do and these routines that you've created, is exactly what we teach about mindfulness, staying in the moment. It's a practice being aware of where you are now. One thing that we do, Kirk, and I don't know if you do this, but the idea of like feeling your feet on the ground or when you're about ready to throw a pass, do you feel your body or where's your head when that's happening?
2: Yeah, I think one of the things I continue to work on and see the benefit of is being present. And and, uh, like you just said, um, being focused right here, right now, this is the only moment I can live in that I can take full advantage of, so why be anywhere else? And I'm at my best self when I'm just fully present, and yet we so easily can get away from being present, and my default is to be somewhere else and to be thinking ahead or three moves ahead when it does me no good to be there, and actually detracts from the current moment. And uh, the habit that I've tried to employ in order to help myself remain present is to just close my eyes and refocus on my breathing and to to just take deep breaths um, and have a rhythm to it and to close my eyes and just throughout the day periodically, if I'm reminded of it, to just for 30 seconds just breathe with my Mm -hmm. eyes closed. And I found that enables me to kind of recenter things and just be a little more uh, present and Mm -hmm. then uh, um, from there, you know, enter into the next activity.
0: Wow. That's, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. Really.
1: Um, Kirk, what's the best advice you've received from a teammate or a coach or anyone in your
2: life? You know, that's a great question as well. Um, I'm always looking for counsel, probably to a fault. I'm always looking for other people's thoughts on how to do something. Um, maybe even to the point where I have to acknowledge that, look, there's multiple ways to do this and you got to find what's (laughs) best for you. But, um, I just remember, you know, showing up as a young player in the NFL and the transformation that happened really without anyone making the point of it, but, but that you go from high school and college where sports are very important and you're playing at a high level, but it's still not your job. It's not a profession. Um, to an, At the NFL level, it is now your job. It's yeah. a profession. And you need to treat it as such. And uh, I remember showing up one day pretty early. I wasn't the earliest guy in the building by any means, but it was a quiet locker room at that time. And I looked across the way at an offensive lineman who was a few years ahead of me in the NFL. And he was there much earlier than me. I could tell by how far along he was in his activities. And I said, boy, you know, Sean, you're here early. And he looked at me and he just said three words, really four words. He said, not a hobby, man, not a hobby. Uh And, uh, and it hit me that, you know, you're right. So many of us play this game and because it's called a game and because we grew up watching it on the couch, we think that and because we say we're living a dream, we think that this can just be a hobby for us. We can just kind of show up and we'll always just be talented enough and we'll be able to just do it. And uh, he made the point that, you know, at, at this level, this isn't a hobby. You know, if you want a hobby, go learn to fish or go get into something else. But this is a job and you got to treat it as such and it's competitive. And if you don't want to show up early and if you don't want to be detailed and if you're too cool to take notes, you're going to find yourself, you know, NFL is going to stand for not for long
0: and you're going to be gone.
2: So um, I just have always thought about that. You know, whenever the job gets tough or I I start to have the poor me's, you know, I'll say, Hey, not a hobby. You know, if you want a hobby, go do something else. But right right now this is your job. And and you need to treat it as such and expect it as such. And I think that would be my message to any young players who enter this league is to say, if it ever was a hobby for you, it's not a hobby anymore. And if you want to succeed, you can't treat this as a hobby. You got to treat it like a job. So um, that was good advice for me professionally to just be able to approach this game the way I need to to have success. Mm, yeah.
0: Well, again, it kind of goes back to mindfulness too. You're in the moment. It's your job. You're doing it. And what do you you know? How have you prepared for that moment? It's all kind of that's right. Incredible. You know, being. And you mentioned earlier that being a quarterback is a really high standard. How do you balance that role as quarterback with your role as a teammate?
2: Well, I've always said, you know, people talk about at the end of your career, what do you want? What's your goal for the end of it all when you walk away from football? And, you know, certainly we all want a Super Bowl ring, but it is a team game. And, uh, you know, some of my worst games that I've played individually, we've still won. Because it's a team game and coaches yeah. and other players bail you out and we find a way to win. Sometimes my best games have been in a loss where, you know, we came up short in other areas. And even though I did all I could, we, we, fell, we fell short. So you learn quickly that, you know, Super Bowl rings and, uh, you know, statistics and a lot of the, the accolades that we all kind of work towards. Yes, a lot of it's in our control, but a lot of it isn't in our control. And so I'm not going to make my whole life and my entire professional career about things that I can't fully control. But what I can control is the way I treat people, the way I lead, um, the way I bounce back from adversity, and all of that is being observed every single moment by your teammates and by your coworkers, and they know the real person. You can put on a front in interviews. You can put on a front out on the field to fans. But behind the scenes, in the locker room, in meetings, every single day on the practice field, teammates get to know the real you. Mm -hmm. And so my goal would be when I'm done playing, really above and beyond the rest, is that teammates would say, you know, the Kirk Cousins that you interviewed on a podcast or the Kirk Cousins that you met in a short window of time, he's the real deal. And he's the same guy that you talked to as we saw for five or six seasons in a locker room behind the scenes. And that guy walks the walk. He doesn't just talk the talk. And I think that's the goal for my career is that you would have the respect and admiration of teammates uh, long after you're done playing. And, and if you have a bunch of Super Bowl rings but didn't accomplish that, uh, that right. would be pretty empty yeah. for right. me, at least. I think it would be a shame. So, um, fortunately, I can control that part of my job, and uh, that'll be most important to me. But it wouldn't hurt to get a, a ring or right. two on the there. Right, Like,
0: that'd be okay. <laughs> that would be okay.
1: Um, well, um, based on that, what do people get wrong about you?
2: What do people get wrong about me? Well, uh, because I can be, like you said, a bit of a preparation <laughs> Uh, freak and and because I do enjoy reading and I enjoy um, you know gathering research and being prepared and and covering my bases because I'm in a world where a lot of athletes don't operate that way it can catch people off guard and they'll say oh he's a nerd or he's a he's a dork or he's kind of odd and um, I just don't find that to be the case I think that you know <laughs> if you were in the professional world I think if you were in the professional world you'd say well sure you act that way I mean that's the way you act but. I think because so many athletes just rely on their natural athleticism, it's sort of not expected out of the professional athlete world, even though in any other professional world, uh, you know, you would need to operate that way in order to be successful. So I would say I'm probably less of a nerd than people paint me out to be. But but because of the nature of what I do, maybe I don't have quite as much of the cool factor as those around me.
1: Well, I think it's cool that you (laughs) sing in a band. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> okay Nerds. yeah you know I, I grew
2: Nerds. up uh, my mom put us in some different uh, you know musical theater when we were young and, and uh, the choir teacher in our high school was a very very good leader and somehow some way, he was such a good leader that he was able to kind of make singing <laughs> and dancing if you will cool for a high school student and for me a high school jock you know it, it was rare to see in a high school but when you have a great leader it makes a difference so uh my high school choir teacher really got me into singing, and, and my mom had kind of raised me in that world. And so, um, you know, got pretty comfortable with it, enjoyed it, had fun. It was like being on another sports team. Uh, and then uh, from there, just kind of found a love for music and for musical theater. And to this day, I love to, you know, go to musicals wherever I am and, and see the new shows. And, Have you uh, seen Hamilton? I haven't seen Hamilton, but I've listened to the whole soundtrack, and actually, during the season, my brother and my sister went, I got them tickets, but I couldn't make it because of the the football schedule, but they've been, they loved it, and uh, I just saw The the Greatest Showman with uh, Hugh Jackman, which is a great musical, and just enjoy all that, and, um, you know, obviously, in the football world, I'm not around it quite as much anymore, but I have a high school friend who now lives in Nashville, and is a part of a band, and Every off season I'll go down to Nashville and visit them just to catch up and part of the deal is they they take me into their recording studio and we get to just sing a little bit kind of have fun and like almost like you'd have a Redskins fan come to practice one day and get to throw a pass and like just kind of fulfill a dream it's kind of like that for me. I go over there and get to hang out with the band and pretend pretend for a day that I'm one of them so that's kind of uh, my experience there
0: Have you ever written a song or not no
2: you're not no you know fan. I was just uh reading up on the people, the two guys who wrote all the music for Greatest Showman, and I found myself watching videos on the Internet of them, you know, composing and playing the mm-hmm. piano and kind of bouncing ideas back back and forth and writing these songs, and I thought, they say how every musician wants to be an athlete and every athlete wants to be a musician, yeah. but I really sat there saying, man, even cooler than being an NFL quarterback would <laughs> yeah. be if I could write songs like that. I mean, I just feel like what a gift yeah. to be able to create those, those songs, those hits out of, out of nothing, out, out of, of thin air, you're creating I something. I mean, what a, what a cool gift that so few people could do at least mm-hmm. do it consistently. So that, that would be a dream of mine, but I think that ship has sailed. I don't,
1: I don't think so because I think you can do it. And after, hopefully you'll have a long football career, but after that, I mean, presidents
0: become artists. There you yeah. have it. So, mm-hmm. you know, we just interviewed um, President Bush, Dora's brother,
2: Yeah, and did you know,
0: yeah, and you know, he's like an accomplished painter now. Did you know that? Yeah, and
2: I had no idea until that all came out in the last year. I had no idea that he had that ability.
0: Yeah, so you Uh, too, you too can be a singer.
1: I know it. Well, you know, the
2: benefit of being a professional athlete is you tend to get to retire at an early age. Right. (laughs) So you'll (laughs) help So that should open up some free time in my 40s and 50s to develop a new skill or work on a new talent. So maybe I'll... I'll start by enrolling in some piano lessons when I retire and see where (laughs) that takes me from there. Yes, yes.
0: So you've been a dog dad for a few years, is that right? And You're an animal lover? Uh, Tell us about your animals.
2: So my my wife uh, fostered uh, uh, dogs in college, and uh, when we were dating, she made it clear that if we get married, that's just a part of the deal, is that she wants to have a dog around and would like to foster dogs. uh, And I... Being someone who grew up with dogs and loved dogs, that was no problem at all. So <laughs> right away when we got married, she started fostering uh, dogs one at a time. And once they found a home, then she'd get another one. And we just loved having these dogs around. And um, You know, I think it got out in the media that we do that. And that was kind of a fun thing because people love that. You know, yeah. they, they shared their stories of fostering as well. And a lot of people said that they heard about my wife fostering. And then they ended up looking looking into it and, and got one as well. And um, So... You know, we had fun for a while, but none of the dogs we fostered, you know, stole our hearts to the point where we couldn't part with them and we had to keep them. While it was tough to watch them go and find a new home, uh, we, you know, were, were comfortable moving on to the next one. And then we got our, I believe it was our eighth dog, oh Bentley, who was a golden doodle who was <laughs> coming from an organization called Doodle Rescue that focuses specifically on doodles. And, um
0: we we you
2: know, fostered him, we had him for like four or five days and we just said, There's no way we can let this guy go. He's just too sweet, too special. So we adopted him right then and there. We've had him now for a couple of years and He's just the best, so uh, we, we've we put Bentley on our social media quite a bit, and uh, he's a fun dog. We love him. And now we're so talking weird. about, you know, we have the baby now as well, yeah. but we're talking about uh, maybe we want to get a second dog, too, especially if we can find one as good as Bentley. Aww.
1: Well, so you, the baby. Yeah, tell us so about tell the baby. Tell us about Cooper, and what's it so, like? Yeah,
2: we have a, we have a four-month-old who uh, is growing fast, and, uh, um, you know, Julie has just done a tremendous job all the way through the pregnancy to the delivery till now, Aww. but... Uh, uh, what was unique about our situation was Julie chose to do an all natural delivery so no drugs
0: incredible. And, uh,
2: she just, you know, she just went through the labor as you would you know a thousand years ago. So wow. um she uh she handled it really well but it was a unique experience because not many people do that anymore and so the labor especially for your first child was much longer than you would typically have in the hospital it was about 30 hours and uh and yet uh you know cooper was born fully healthy and everything went really well and julie recovered quickly and the delivery happened only three days before our game against the kansas city chiefs on monday night football so um it was challenging for me because i missed one day of work being with her the baby was delivered that night and then went back to work the following day and then we flew to kansas city the the day after that and uh we didn't win the game but played well (laughs) and felt prepared so it, it all worked out and uh um, it's just been so fun to watch Cooper grow. And I've learned that you have to enjoy each stage for what it is because yeah. they grow. Goes it's, it's, mean, it's almost like you're 15. No, you know, they're totally different. So I just try to enjoy each stage for what it is.
0: That's oh, true. It's like your 15-minute breakdown, you know? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is how it goes. And that's how quickly it happens.
1: <laughs> exactly. What, what's changed now that you're a father is in terms of your outlook on life and...
2: Yeah. Well, I think I manage my time probably even better just because I want to be home and spend time with Cooper. And I know he, he has an early bedtime, so uh, when I'm at work, I want to be efficient, and get my work done, so I can get home and, and spend time with him before he, he goes to bed. And um, you know, I, I also, after a, a tough loss, I'm down in the dumps, and you come home and you realize your son doesn't care. You know, he doesn't know any different. Right. He's not gonna, he's not gonna love you any less or any more based on what you do. So. Um, you know, that puts things in perspective. And then if you play really well and you think you're the man, you come home and you have a diaper to change and you have to grow up to clean up. And, I mean, that's a part of being a dad, too. So um, it just adds a, a level of enrichment and fulfillment to, to your life. and um, You know, you you just uh, pray so hard that he'll grow up healthy and, and grow to be the kind of man and person that you would aspire for him to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Kirk, we're we're down to our last um, minutes. I know we don't want to
0: hang up with you. I know,
1: (laughs) but we know you have have to have have lunch. You have to have lunch, (laughs) and um, we have our rapid fire questions. So, um, so let's just do that real quick, and we'll start with what book do you think everyone should read?
2: Well, you know, obviously, I'm going to say the Bible is my first choice. But in addition to the Bible, um, I read a book. Called Winning by Jack Welch, that uh, really changed my entire perspective on leadership, on uh, management, and uh, principles I'd never been taught came through in that book. So I would recommend Winning by Jack Welch to get some new look ideas on how to lead and manage other people.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, and what quote brings you strength and peace?
2: You know, I built my life on a, uh, on a verse that my dad taught me when I was young. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps. And uh, I feel that my life has really proven that quote to be true, and uh, it's really become what I would call my life verse. So Mm -hmm. that's the quote that comes to mind first when anybody asks me for something that uh, has had a big impact on me.
1: Right. And what would you say to your 20-year-old self? (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, looking back now, you know, I, I think at 20 years old, I was, I was very much talk about not being present. I, I was very much always wondering where's life going to go and what's going to happen. And is the decision that I make today going to dramatically send me off course or affect my life almost to a point where it was a worry that was persisting in my spirit. And uh, I would look back now and tell my 20 year old self, uh, you know, don't worry, it's all going to work out, you know, just keep, Working hard, focus on the here and now, and, and understand it's all going to work out. And you don't need to know anything else. Just know that it's all going to work out. And and uh, I think that would have given me a piece that uh, that would help me just to continue to, to keep going. So
1: true. Um, what's your favorite meal, other than the one Julie's fixing
2: for you right now? <laughs> well, you know what I've come to learn uh, is that there's such a thing as eating – stuff you like that's still healthy. And so when you're done eating it, you feel really good. And then there's stuff, eating stuff you love, but it's not very good for you. So when you're done eating, you feel awful. And so because I want to feel good after I eat it too, I'd say my favorite is to have a nice filet steak mm. cooked medium with some vegetables like asparagus and some sweet potatoes. Yeah. And uh, that's that's about all I need. And, uh, and I'll be feeling pretty good uh, afterwards. And it's something great to eat, but uh, mm. I'm also a sucker for chocolate cake and <laughs> uh, ice cream, you name it. Um,
1: if you could sit next to anyone at dinner tonight, who would that be?
2: You know, when I get that question about who do you have dinner with, you know, the obvious names come come to, come to the, the surface, you know, Jesus of Nazareth or Martin Luther King or Abraham Lincoln, but for the sake of being... little different. I would say, you know, also on the list, maybe down the list a little bit behind them, would be um, a guy named Billy Payne, who uh, I've been watching the Olympics lately, Mm -hmm. and um, uh, uh, you know, I have spend a lot of my off-season in Atlanta. My wife's from Atlanta, and Billy Payne is is the man who's credited with bringing the Olympics to Atlanta back Mm -hmm. in 96, and how he had the vision to do that in the late 80s, and then spent next several years getting it to happen. And you know, I was just watching the Winter Olympics and thought, man, the thought of bringing the Olympics to Atlanta back when he right. had that idea had to be just out of left field to the people he told it to. And just they must have thought there's no way he's going to be able to do that. And yet he made it happen. And so uh, I would love to just sit with him uh, and just pick his brain and say, how did you do it? What were the keys? You know, how did you make turn a vision into a reality? And I think I'd have a lot of fun talking to Billy Payne. So uh, he'd be someone else on my, on my long list of people I'd love to sit with and learn from
1: very cool awesome that well Kirk incredible. you are a good soul you are we are honored to be speaking to you today and um, give our love to Julie yes. and thank you so much you for are so incredibly
2: inspirational well thank you thanks for having me on it's a privilege and uh, thank you so much for what your family has meant to uh, to our country and to our world and the impact you've had for generations um, thank you. you know it's an incredible legacy and uh an honor to, to speak to you and, and uh, engage with you and uh, wish you all the success going forward.
1: Thank you so,
0: so much Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha
1: and I'm Doro.
0: Be well.